Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend, where we go behind the scenes and talk to the creators of independent entertainment. I'm Jason Godby, and today on the program, we're talking no-budget filmmaking. This is also called resource filmmaking. This is how we made the short that you saw at the top of the show. If you're a podcast listener, you may want to watch this episode just so you can check out that film and some of the behind-the-scenes footage that we're going to be featuring. Now, resource filmmaking is a method I've been using for some time, proven very effective for me and people like me who want to make films but don't have a lot of money to spend on them. I've actually made several shorts using this method, including my films Thug Number 3 and Isolation, both of which have been featured on episodes of this show. If you've been watching the show recently, you notice some videos that we've made for our camera reviews. All of those little films were made using these techniques I'm going to talk about. So today we're talking about Sonnet 23, and I'll show you how you can make a film using these techniques. But first, a word from our sponsor. Brought to you by JMR Rentals, professional digital cinema and broadcast equipment rentals in Brooklyn, New York. JMRNY.com. And now get 15% off your first rental when you use the promo code WEEKEND. Call 347-721-3400 or email info at JMRNY.com for details. So let's talk a bit about the basics of no budget slash resource filmmaking. There are some, for lack of a better word, let's call them rules or principles that you can follow. The first rule of resource filmmaking is keep it simple. As you can see, this film has a really simple premise. Keeping the story simple and using the minimum amount of characters, location, props, etc. to tell the story is essential. The more you can simplify these elements, the more effective your storytelling will be. The second rule is work backward. So there's something that I do for most of my projects uh, when you're making a film like this. You have to work backward from your resources. You're essentially reverse engineering the movie. Whenever I sit down to write a script for a film like this, uh, I make an honest account of my resources and I say, what can I make with what I have? And the key word is honest. You need to be realistic. What resources do you really have available to you and who will be willing and available to help you make this project? For this film, I knew we could shoot in the park. I used gear that I owned or had access to or could rent at a reasonable cost. I wrote the project with the actor in mind. In fact, collaborating with an actor or actors on a project is a great way to involve them in the process and make sure they'll stick with it. The third rule is keep it short. Don't try to make something you can't make in a day or two at the most. Resource filmmaking techniques can be used for bigger projects that take more time, but I feel like they'll serve you better on smaller projects. This is not the method you want to use to make your epic feature film. It, because in most cases you're not paying the actors or the crew, it's a good idea not to ask too much of them. If you respect people's time, they'll have a better experience and they'll be more likely to work with you again. I got the idea for making this film while working as the editor on the annual Shakespeare's Birthday Sonnet Slam, where people come together to read all 154 of Shakespeare's sonnets. I've been one of the videographers and the editor for that project for a number of years now with my friend Melinda Hall. She's been on the show. You can check her episode out. It's episode 416. You can learn more about her and the Sonnet Slam. She's great. Uh, so definitely check that out, especially if you're interested in Shakespeare. The Sonnet Slam is normally a live event that's held here in New York City, but for 2020 and 2021, like many other events, we had to go virtual. So for the virtual event, uh, we did a live reading via Zoom, 
And then people also did uh, self-tapes. Uh, they taped themselves performing the sonnets. And they got some of them got really creative with it. And they made like little movies of their sonnets, which were really cool. And that gave me the idea. I said, you know, what if I did something like this, but kind of on a more professional level? So that's how it started. And uh, as it goes to show you, you can kind of get an idea from anywhere. Uh, also, if you're going to adapt something, why not you know, adapt something from the greatest poet who ever lived? That's where the idea came from, but it took me a while to find the sonnet I wanted to adapt and come up with a situation for it. Uh, after all, it's a poem. It's not like a monologue or a play. And I needed to find a situation that was simple enough that I could execute within the limitations I had. So, you know, the lesson here is, uh, unfortunately, simple does not equal easy. Okay, so let's talk prep. Once we had the script that we liked, I started storyboarding it, but I quickly realized that I needed to see the location in order to figure out which shots were actually possible there. I did uh, two location scouts. I did the first one by myself. I walked around, I took a look at places that we could shoot. I originally thought that we could shoot near Lincoln Center uh, for the first scene and then shoot the second scene in Central Park. But then I realized that we could just shoot the whole thing in and around Central Park and that would make it a lot easier. It turned out to be a pretty amazing location. Uh, we were able to get that beautiful view atop Belvedere Castle. We got the Delacorte Theater, which tied into our Shakespeare theme. For you uh, non-New Yorkers, that's where they do Shakespeare in the Park. And we found this great looking old bench that was kind of set apart from the other benches in the park. There was a huge plus in that all of these things were in walking distance, so we didn't have to waste a lot of time going from one location to the other. For the second scout, I brought my producing partner, Brenda Betrayed Oliver, with me and had her walk through some of the blocking. With her standing in for the actor, I could see which shots I really needed. From there, we were able to cut a video storyboard together of the film so I could see which shots I really needed. Then uh, the next step was rehearsing. Uh, once Emmeline Pryor, our actor, was on board, we rehearsed the monologue and we kind of talked about the tone we were looking for, the look of the character, all these different little details, and we recorded a scratch track of the voiceover so that I could edit the video storyboard to the scratch track to make the timing work because it had to be precise. This saved me a ton of time once we were on set. I, once we got there, I knew exactly what shots I needed and I didn't have to waste time taking a lot of extra footage. Another thing to consider when it comes to location is sound. Uh, if you're going to try to record dialogue, you may need to, you have to make sure the location isn't too noisy. New York City is horrible for sound. Uh, it's incredibly noisy and loud and trying to get uh, like even a line or two recorded clean is damn near impossible, which is why we decided to just use voiceover and add our music and sound design later. As far as the gear that I used, once again, I used the EOS R to shoot the film. I've been using the EOS R as my main camera for a while now. I really like the look of this camera. We shot in C-Log, 24P in 1080P. For lenses, we use the Rokinon cinema lenses, once again. I like the look and feel of those lenses. I only use two lenses, the 24 and the 50 mil. That saved me a lot of time, so I wasn't constantly changing lenses. I also used my small HD monitor because those lenses are fully manual. Really helps to have a bigger screen so that you can see when everything's in focus. I used a tripod and a monopod for support. Uh, originally, I was gonna shoot the whole film handheld, uh, but once I put the rig together, it was kind of heavy. Once I got it together though, I, I did actually wind up liking the look of the lockdown camera. 
For the shot list, I kept things simple. I shot everything in a, uh, in a master shot and I went into the coverage. I wanted to make sure I had enough coverage, which included inserts of the phone. I wanted to make the phone a character in the film, which is why it gets its own close-up. She's trying to decide between uh, eating her lunch in peace and answering her boyfriend's request. So it's essential to show the phone as a point of conflict. It's a simple conflict, but it works. We shot everything in one day and went fairly smoothly, except for this epic rainstorm that happened when we were moving from our bench location to the sidewalk. We ended up hiding out in the subway and eating pretzels while the rain passed. Uh, the rain does make a little cameo in the film. You can see it in this first opening shot. We managed to get that shot right before it started to pour again. Uh, this is one of the trade-offs you get with shooting outdoors. You can get the location for free sometimes, and you can even get some great natural light, but you have to uh, contend with the weather. For post-production, this took a little bit longer than I wanted it to. I put the edit together actually fairly quickly. Uh, first edited the film to the scratch track that we did with Emmeline, but once I had it together, we had to record the final track and get the voiceover performance to match the on-set performance. Emmeline has her own setup to record because she does voiceover work, so that came in really handy. It was a bit awkward because we had to do it kind of via Zoom and FaceTime, and uh, she was trying to watch the film and record while I was trying to direct her, and wasn't great, but it worked. You know, recording voiceover ADR, I normally do that in the studio, but, you know, this is COVID time, so you have to get creative. For the edit, I wanted to get some a bit better graphics, so I enlisted the help of my creative partner, Marcello Carnavale. Uh, he's much better at that sort of thing than I am, and we got some really cool text graphics in there. The score. Uh, the score is a bit of a challenge. Originally, uh, Chris Gillard, who does a lot of our music, was going to score the movie, but he was still in Bulgaria working on his master's in film scoring. He was really enthused about the project, but he kind of had a little too much on his plate. And in the end, I wound up using a piece of classical music uh, that I found. I actually downloaded a bunch of public domain classical music a while back, and I had a pretty good sized library. And I just happened to find this piece that magically worked with our movie. Uh, keep track of things like that. A little uh, tip there is like if you can get music for free, if you can get a free score, it's great. Uh, Stanley Kubrick used classical music and, you know, if it's good enough for him. All right, so that's about it for this episode. If you want to know more about resource filmmaking, I've actually written an ebook about it. You can get the No Rest for the Weekend Guide to No Budget Filmmaking by sending an email to info at BehindTheRabbitProductions.com with the subject guide, and we'll send that right out to you. And that's all the time we got for you today. Thanks so much for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. For more of our content, including our movie reviews, visit our website, norestfortheweekendpodcast.com. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And now you can find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash getbehindtherabbit. Once again, I want to thank the cast and crew of Sonnet 23, Emmeline Pryor, Brenda Betrayed Oliver, and Alia Vilf, and our sponsor, JMR Rentals. For Behind the Rabbit Productions, I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.